0: Are you ready for the word this morning? Seven years ago today, I got all dressed up in a white dress and at about 10 past 12 because I was running fashionably late, I walked down this aisle and I married Mark John Allen Bulmer. and then two days later, we set off on the trip of a lifetime. We took three and a half months off and we spent um, three of those months in Europe. You guys are going to have an incredible time. Um, In Europe and in Thailand. And um, when we were in Athens, we had our flight booked to go to Rome. And we were meeting Mark's mum in Rome. Yes, let's just get that out in the open. My mother-in-law came on my honeymoon (laughs) for... For two of the 14 weeks that I was away and I'm okay with that because she's not one of those mother-in-laws. She's wonderful. She's lovely. Her name is Mary and um, I adore her. And she has family in Italy and she's never been to Italy and so she dropped hints. Maybe I could meet you in Italy. And um, we graciously said yes. So anyway, we're in Athens and we've got our flight booked to Rome and so we made sure that Mary's flight was going to get in just after ours so that we could meet her at her gate. You know, she's, she's in her 60s. We wanted to make sure she was looked after when she got into this foreign country where they don't speak English. So everything's organised. The night before, I get online to check in. If you've flown before, you know that you can check in the night before. And we had flown a number of flights over the last few weeks. So we would become pros at this. And when I go to check in, the system's down and I can't check in. I'm like, okay, that's all right. We will just catch an earlier train to the airport and make sure we get there with plenty of time because we haven't been able to check in. Now, the next morning, if anyone knows us, we're not really morning people. So we were running a little bit late and um, we were doing what we would call hammer time. So we're like you know, four times as fast as my little legs can take us and we've got these two massive suitcases and we are running as fast as we can to get to the train station to make our train and when we get there there goes our train it's okay though because we had factored in extra time so we can get on the next train and we're still going to have enough time to make our flight so we get on the next train sit down, we relax, we start having this lovely conversation with this young couple who were also travelling around Europe and time flies by and before we know it we're at the airport, we get out of the train, we get to the desk of the airline that we're flying with and they said we're sorry Mr and Mrs Boomer, but um, our flight is overbooked today and you haven't made it on the flight and I said excuse me I have a booking I and meant to be on this flight. And they said, no, we don't have a seat for you. I said, have a look at this piece of paper that my travel agent has given me. I'm on this flight. And they said, well, we actually overbook our flights by six seats, expecting people not to turn up. I'm like, what kind of country am I in? We don't do that in Australia. We don't overbook our flights, expecting people not to turn up. Who doesn't turn up? I'm in Greece. People just don't turn up, apparently. And so we are getting very worked up. We are getting very cranky. Mary Bulma is going to be waiting for us in Rome and we are not going to make this flight. Mark is losing it. Losing it. He says to the woman, Do you have a mother? How would you feel if your mother was in a foreign country doesn't speak the language waiting for her son? No idea where he is. And the woman said, Sir, so I need you to calm down. I'm thinking we are going to get kicked out of this airport. All kinds of trouble is coming our way. I said, baby, you need, to, you need to calm down. We need to think. We need to think. And we need to pray. We need to just believe we're going to get on this flight. And they said, well, there is two more seats left. Let me see what I can do. i like, well, why didn't you say this earlier? Anyway, and like, if you go to the gate, they might let you on. Okay, so we head to the gate and we're like, okay, we've got to get on this flight. We get there and go, oh no, we just gave those two seats to the two people in front of you. We're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So we go back to the counter and we're like, can you make an announcement or something at the other airport saying, Mary Boomer, just keep calm, they're coming or something. She goes, yeah, I probably could do that. So she apparently made an announcement and we're waiting to hear if Mary's going to hear it. Anyway, long story short, she didn't hear the announcement. We couldn't find internet. We wandered around the airport trying to find internet so that we could contact her. It was seven years ago. We didn't have a lot of these, you know, technology things. But we managed to find some internet and we managed to send her an email with the new plan saying this is what's happening. But we had no idea whether or not she was going to get it. Um, how she was going to connect to internet on the other side, um, how she knew that we were still stuck in Athens. It was a really terrible day. We just felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. In the end, we ended up spending about 14 hours in the airport, and then we finally made it on a flight, and we got to Rome. Now, praise Jesus, I have a very smart mother-in-law. And she did think when she couldn't find us, maybe I should check my email. And so she, I don't know, still borrowed, begged, asked somebody to be able to use some internet to be able to check her email. And um, she loves telling us that she checked her email went, oh, okay, I'll do what Sam told me to do. And then she logged off and forgot to reply to us. And then a little while later, she thought, hmm, maybe I should reply to them so they know that I'm okay. And she eventually did. It was a really horrible day, a really horrible day. Have you ever had a day like that, where everything that could possibly go wrong just went wrong? Have you ever had a day like that? Yeah, plenty. I'm hearing plenty, plenty of days like that. Well, this is our fourth week in our series on Ezra. And this morning, the title of my message is When Trouble Comes, When Trouble Comes. So far in our series on Ezra, the Israelites have been in exile for 70 years. And then God moves the heart of King Cyrus. And he allows the Israelites to go back to build the temple. And the, pe- the people were obedient to the call of God, obedient to the call of God to go back, and amazingly they managed to move 15, uh, sorry, 500, 50, people. 1,500 kilometres, no, 1,500 kilometres. Too many fives in there. They managed to move 50,000 people 1,500 kilometres. Incredible. Incredible what we've seen so far. And then we get to the end of Ezra 3. The people have laid the foundation of the temple. They've built the altar. Things are going really well. They're back in there, the home of, of of their ancestors, doing the thing that God has called them out of exile to do. And in Ezra 3.11, we read this. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. Things are going really well. Celebration, they're excited. Things are going great. But no... Sooner had the shouts of celebration began to die down, that trouble comes the way of the Israelites. Have you ever noticed when you're setting out to do something that God's called you to do, when you step out and you say yes to something God's calling you to do, whether it's to run an alpha group or whether it's to invite a friend to church or whether it's to speak up about a certain issue or an injustice. Have you ever noticed when you do the thing that God is calling you to step out and do, suddenly trouble and opposition just smacks you in the face? Let's have a look at what happened for the Israelites. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, Let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him since King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua and the other leaders of Israel replied, You may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel." Just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Now, you would assume that when you're undertaking a task like building a temple, you would take all the help you could get. It's a pretty big job to rebuild a temple. So you would assume that any help that is offered, you'd say, yes, please, too. They've got this opportunity to work with the people that have settled in their land But notice what the description that's given to the people offering. The enemies are offering their help. So in order for us to understand what Ezra is trying to get at by calling them enemies, we need to find out a bit of their backstory. Who are these people? Who are these people that have settled in this land? And we find their backstory in 2 Kings 17 verses 24 to 41 when the Israelites were taken into exile, a few of the the lowest of of the people were left. And what happened was the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and some of the other um, surrounding areas and they settled those people in the kingdom of, of Israel. And they married with the people that were left and they sort of spread out over the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And... 2 Kings 17 describes this about the people that were living there. It says, While these new residents worshipped the Lord, they also worshipped their idols. So they worshipped God, they worshipped Yahweh, but they also worshipped their idols. So the issue that we have with these new people that have settled in Israel who, as a side note, are the New Testament Samaritans. We read about the Samaritans in the New Testament. This is the, um, the, the, the generation before, the ancestors of the Samaritans. The issue that we have with these people is that they added God, the worship of our true God, Yahweh, to the worship that they were already having of other gods. So they blended worship of God with the worship of false false idols. So what looks like a friendly offer to help, we just want to help, what looks like a friendly offer is actually big fat trouble in disguise. If you think back over the generations of the Israelites and the issues that they faced over the years, time after time, what is one of the things that tripped up the Israelites? Idolatry, worship of other gods. And here they are. They've been called by God. They've repented of the past. They're called by God to do something incredible, to build the temple, the house of the Lord. And suddenly, temptation comes and knocking. Temptation to compromise. Temptation to go back to the way that they've always done things in the past. Church, don't be surprised that when you step out, when you do the thing that God's calling you to do, that temptation comes knocking. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that when you say say yes to God to break that habit or that addiction, don't be surprised that when you say yes to God to putting him first and pursuing him, Don't be surprised that when you say yes to putting down the devices and spending time with God, don't be surprised that in the moment you do that, that temptation comes knocking. It might be in the form of an old friend that all of a sudden rings and says, hey, do you want to go out and do the very thing that you've just said I'm going to let go of? Or it might come in the form of an offer that's just too good to be true, but it actually means that you're going to have to work on Sundays and you're going to miss being in community and worshipping the Lord with your family. Don't be surprised that when you put God first, when you say yes to the call of God, the first form of trouble that comes your way comes in the form of temptation. Temptation to compromise or temptation to go back to do things the way you've used to do things. And look at how the Israelites respond to this temptation. With a big fat no. No. No, you cannot help us. You know, this would have been radical at the time. It probably would have offended a whole heap of people for them to say no. You can't help. But they're saying so much more than just no you can't help they're saying no to the temptation of compromise temptation to go back and do things the way they used to do they stood firm in the face of opposition and they resisted friends how are you going at saying no to temptation How are you going at saying no when the temptation to compromise, the temptation to go back and do things the way you've done things in the past, even though God's calling you to something greater, he's calling you to do things different, how are you going at just saying no? The Israelites said no. They said no to temptation. But, you know, that was just the start of the opposition that came against them. And very often temptation can be the the subtle end of opposition, what comes next for the Israelites is uh, not so subtle. Shall we have a look at it? Verse 4. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. They went, this went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Talk about trouble. We've got discouragement. They discourage the people. The King James Version says that they weakened the hands of the people. And doesn't discouragement do that to us? It saps our energy. It saps our passion. It wears us down and it weakens our efforts. It weakens what we're trying to achieve. The next thing that came against them was fear. They frightened the people. Again, the King James Version says that they troubled the people. And they did this by threatening them, by giving false reports about who they were and what was going on, and by stopping the materials that they needed for the building of the temple coming their way. This is some of the ways that they brought fear and trouble into the situation that was going on for the Israelites. And like that wasn't enough. They then got local, the local authorities, the counsellors of the king, and they gave them bribes so that um, they would make the plans frustrated. So they would frustrate the people, they would um, do whatever they could to hinder the building of the temple. So they've started with temptation and they've said no to the temptation. So then the people ramp it up. They ramp up the opposition with discouragement, with fear, with doing whatever they can to bring trouble their way. And then by giving uh, bribes to people that could actually put a stop to the work. Guess how long this went on for? A couple of weeks couple of months 16 years 16 years this went on for who can remember back 16 years how old were you two who said two two you were two wow (laughs) anyone younger than two (laughs) 16 years this went on for the opposition that the israelites faced And it stopped them from moving forward and accomplishing what God had called them to do, what God had called them back to Israel to do. Basically, the opposition and trouble they faced all got a bit too much. And for a period of time, they quit. They quit on the thing that God had called them to do. The prophet... Haggai tells us that the Israelites then got distracted by building their own homes. Distracted building their own homes rather than building the temple of the Lord. Now this story reminds us that whenever we step out to do something great for God, whenever we step out to do something great for God, we can expect that trouble and opposition are going to come our way. How do you respond when trouble comes? How do you respond? We've just seen a bit of the story of how the Israelites responded. But how do you respond when you're doing something that you know that God wants you to do and then all of a sudden you're just smacked in the face with this trouble, with this opposition that just keeps coming against you? How do you respond? You see, there was no doubt in the Israelites' minds that they were called to this. It had been prophesied years earlier. God moved the heart of a pagan king to let them go. There was no doubt that this is what they were called to do in this moment at this time for their God. And, you know, they started off great. They started off great. They started off by saying no to the opposition that was coming against them. But over time, they got worn down and the building of the temple stopped for 16 years. They quit. It got hard. You know, before Mark and I went out to our Preston's campus, we had no doubt in our minds that God was calling us to go. He had confirmed it to us that this is what he was calling us to do at this time. But you know, in those early few weeks driving to church both of us started to have really discouraging thoughts thoughts like who on earth do you think you are you two are going to stuff this up royally you know discouragement can sometimes come from i don't think meant anything meant to be discouraging say to me preaching isn't really your thing is it (laughs) and i went oh okay, that's a bit discouraging. (laughs) You know, sometimes discouragement can come from people who don't even necessarily mean it, but it can still be, you know, kind of hard, discouraging, gets in your brain. And then all of a sudden came the Saturday nights, wide awake, If you know me, you know I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep on on a plane. I could probably go to sleep under one of these seats right now. Um, I can sleep anywhere. All of a sudden, Saturday nights, wide awake, and Sunday mornings, I was exhausted because I hadn't slept well the night before. In those first few months, opposition of discouragement, of this weird not being able to sleep, came against, particularly me, attacking my thinking to try and knock me off what God had set out for me to achieve, try and push me and get me to quit from what God was calling us to do. So what's God calling you to do? Maybe God's calling you to have a great marriage that models Christ in the church. Maybe God's calling you to raise incredible children who love and serve and lead others to God. Maybe God is calling you to lead or to get involved in a ministry at church. Maybe he's calling you to run an alpha group with your neighbours. Maybe he's calling you to start a business that honours him. Maybe he's calling you to go on a missions trip or he's calling you to trust him with your finances and give above and beyond what you normally give. Or it could be a number of other things that God is calling you to. Church, when he calls you, we've got to expect that trouble and opposition are going to come. And that might not sound like a really nice message. But it's the truth. And as the people of God, we need to understand that when we step out and we say yes to him, that there is an enemy that wants you to say No. So this morning I want to give us four ways that we can respond when opposition comes our way. Four ways we can respond or four ways that we can take action when we're faced with trouble and opposition. The first one is what I just said, is we need to know the enemy. We need to know the enemy. His name is Satan and he hates you. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Paul has just told the church to forgive the man Who had sinned but repented. And then he explains so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Church, we need to not be ignorant of his schemes. Since the beginning of creation, Satan has been working to tempt and deceive his people, to try and get them off track from the plan and purpose that God has for our lives. Don't be ignorant, know his schemes. Know that he will lie to you, that he will tempt you, that he will discourage you, that he will try to frighten you. All in an attempt to derail you from the plan and the purpose and the calling that God has on your life. The first step that we need to take to respond to adversity is to know the enemy that's coming against us. The second is to resist him resist the enemy. The Israelites said no in the beginning, didn't they? They said no to the enemy that was coming against. They resisted the enemy. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, we don't need to memorize seven steps or have a special prayer to resist the devil. We just need to say no. We just need to say no. When the enemy comes and tries to put that lie in your head or tries to tempt you or tries to frighten you, we just need to say no. I'm not going there. I'm not doing what you're suggesting I should do. Stand firm, resist the enemy and say no. Number three is to draw near to God. And this is the nice one. (laughs) If you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, just relax now. Here's the nice stuff. Draw near to God. James 4.8 Four, eight says, to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, when opposition and trial comes our way, we need to get down on our knees and we need to pray. We need to go to the one who, who gives us strength, who gives us comfort, who gives us peace. We cannot stand alone. We've sung, when I go through the fire, I won't be burnt. You know, you won't be burnt because Jesus is standing with you, not because you've got some supernatural skin. You won't drown because Jesus is carrying you, not because you can swim really well. We need to draw near to God, for he is our strength. He is our comfort. He is our peace. He is our refuge. So if you're in going through trouble, if the opposition is coming against you, draw near to God. If someone is trying to discredit you, turn to the one who has your identity in Christ, who qualifies you. If you're feeling bombarded with discouragement, then open the word that is full of encouragement. Draw near to God. And finally, persevere. Don't give up on the significant thing that God has called you to do. Don't give up. You know, the enemy will hear that you are building something for the Lord and he will try to stir up opposition. But don't quit. Because, and I need you to lean in, lean in, come a little closer. Because a life following the path that Jesus, that God has laid out for you, even if that means opposition, is so much better than a life sitting on the sideline. So much better. A life where you are saying yes to the calling of God, even if that means, and it does, opposition is so much better than a life sitting on the sideline. Who wants to sit on the sideline? No football player wants to sit on the sideline. We want to be in the game. We want to be doing what God has called us to do. We want to be saying yes to where he's calling us to go. So we need to persevere. Four action steps for us to take hold of, for us to put into action responses that we can make when trouble and and opposition comes our way. Which one are you going to grab hold of this week? Which one is standing out to you this morning? But maybe you're here this morning and you have actually given up on something that God has called you to do. Maybe you started building something and opposition and trouble came, and it just all got a bit much. You got worn down, and you've stopped. The, this chapter 4 of Ezra ends with verse 24. It says, So the work of the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped, and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. I want to point out a really important word in that, in that verse. Until, until the work did not stop forever, church. The book of Ezra doesn't end in chapter four. There's so much more to the story. The enemy tried to stop the work of God, but really all he did was delay it a little bit. He couldn't stop it. He couldn't defeat it. And if you've given up or if you've quit on something that God has called you to, then maybe he wants to add an until to your story. But you're going to have to wait until next week to hear more on that. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Green. Shall we pray? Worship team. (laughs) Worship team, if you want to come up and we'll pray. God, we thank you that you are with us and that you are for us and that you never leave us and you never forsake us. God, we thank you that you have a calling on each of our lives, that you have a plan and a purpose for every single person in this place. And God, I pray that as we continue to run after you and say yes to the calling of God, God, I pray that when trouble and opposition comes, that we would stand firm that we would know the enemy, that we would resist the enemy, that we would draw near to you, God, and that we would persevere. God, I pray that we would get serious about this. Because, God, I know that you have so much more that you are calling us to as a church. And so, God, we choose to say yes. We choose to run hard after you, regardless of what trouble and opposition might come against us, God, because we know it's so much better to be in the game with you than to be sitting on the sideline. And so, God, we honour you, we thank you, we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.